Welcome to the Retail Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're talking about customer personalization with Trevor Sumner, CEO of New York-based Perch Interactive. Trevor, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. So I want to start by unpacking what we mean by customer personalization, and then that old thought that this personal customer experience only happens at the brick and mortar level with traditional sales associates. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, I think personalization can mean a lot of different things, right? One is the experience itself, right? So what I get offered or how I am treated is different based upon my existing customer behavior. And so we see that obviously across the board with any of the loyalty clubs, uh, you know, uh, certainly with all the airlines and our various different tiers of membership and how we are treated. Um, you're even seeing it in China with your kind of social score, right? Everything's being personalized, including, you know, whether you're allowed to travel or not. And so, you know, as we go, there's more and more data being collected about us and what we do. Some of that is owned by the retailer uh, itself or some of it's, you know, by third parties and that can be aggregated. And so that personalization can happen in lots of different ways. It can happen in terms of, you know, what, what types of products or services I'm offered uh, it also changes the way we message. So personalization has, for a long time within the digital sphere, been able to you know be very effective in you know close to one-to-one messaging. Uh, so we're getting to the point where our email marketing programs and you know, social media targeting by segment can be very specific about the messaging that we are delivering, and that's an extremely powerful concept. And the traditional retail analog was, you know, the customer service person because they could actually treat every person different. And it's just starting to be the point where technology can start treating people differently in store. So that's that's one bucket of personalization. The other bucket of personalization is just around what products, uh, you know, whether I can customize a product specifically for for me. And we're seeing that you know, with being able to customize my sneaker at the Nike store, or, you know, one of the things that we worked here at Perch uh, was the ability to customize your Kate Spade Make It Mine bag uh, in store through uh, interactive digital display. And so customers increasingly, you know, want things to stand out and be their own. So where in the 50s, it was about keeping up with the Joneses and having the same car and having the same products. Uh, You know, as we've evolved as a society, we use products to both declare individuality and also declare tribes, but often in smaller, uh, smaller tribes than you know trying to be like everybody else. So there's personalization both in the the service and the messaging and how I'm treated, but also the ability to personalize products and make them my own. This idea of personalization and the desire for differentiation by consumers, uh, is that a generational thing? I mean, you mentioned keeping up with the Joneses. And and so, you know, I hate to paint with a, a broad, you know, brush millennials because, you know, everyone seems to market to millennials thinking that all are the same. But is this more of a generational shift? I think it's a generational shift in a couple different ways. Uh, you know, 72% of millennials prefer to spend on experiences than, you know, just strictly on material things. And experiences themselves are better if they're personalized to me, right? If they're aware of who I am and what I like and, um, you know, even tailored to me, Trevor Sumner specifically. Um, so I think there's there's a piece of that of wanting to stand out and especially in kind of this you know, social media, Instagram moment, uh, you know, uh, projecting my best self online, 
that's a lot of thinking through, you know, your identity and also how you know material things you know play within that identity. And to have that thing that you know somebody else doesn't have, or to have that experience that you can show off that. Uh, somebody else doesn't have keeping up with the joneses would be a terrible instagram feed if you could imagine <laughs> it would just be the same boring car and the same boring house and the same boring products um not boring just just the same right and 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 to a certain extent we're equating the same with boring right so it is to a certain extent uh, a generational thing but it's also a matter of data if you're going to deliver on a personalized experience you have to agree that that's not a creepy thing and you have to agree that to get there, you know, people need access to your transaction history. So there was a big outcry a couple of weeks back about Google doing a deal with MasterCard so that they could see whether online searches uh, converted into specific transactions in store. And people, you know, people, people got up in arms. But, you know, that's the least of the data that's being shared out there. They... The data profile on me, which you can you know, take a look at various different online services that they're sharing, they know how much I make, they know what t- technology, that, that I'm in the technology sector, they know where I live, they know that I'm married, they know so much about me, they know who my wife is, all these things uh, are readily available. And the nice thing is you can use that data in good ways, but you have to accept that. And you know, we are working through a lot of privacy issues in this country and you know i think globally i think the europeans have a very different stance on it with gdpr and and kind of protecting people's uh data and privacy uh than in america which is uh, much more pro-industry but we are certainly pushing the limits of what uh, consumers want and I think we're pushing it without them fully realizing what they can get out of it the reality is most of us do uh, are willing to give up data to somebody we trust um, if we get better things out of it. And so we're starting to get to the point where we're really seeing a lot of that and newer generations have just accepted that that's part of the dynamic. Um, so it is definitely generational. I think you know, we're just touching the service about, uh, about what is possible and as the, the benefits become you know, more clear, we will, we will agree to give up more and more of that information. Or you know, as we become more aware, more aware of the information we've already given away, which is kind of where we are, I think most people don't really know, uh, we'll be further okay with it because we see the benefits as well as the downside. When you talk about the, the generational gap then between, I guess, trusting how much information about us is out there, I think of Ron Swanson and Parks of Rec. <laughs> And he is, he's, you know, basically he's throwing away his computer because he wants his digital footprint to be erased. So this idea of being helped by personalization versus being creeped out by personalization, I guess the the caveat there is that it is a challenge because there is a lot of information that is vulnerable. But how do you, I guess, square it with the consumer to explain that this ultimately is a good thing? Yeah, I, well, look, it's it can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? I think the outrage over the Facebook uh, Cambridge Analytica is not only did Facebook just look away as it knew that every developer on the Facebook app platform was stealing its data and stealing profiles and, and, and had access to much more information than they should have uh, and that there were no audit processes in place. I mean, that that's not great, but what... I think is really upsetting is the fact that 
we were manipulated, right? That we were being psychologically manipulated, that they were using this data to understand what our pain points were and what types of issues we were sensitive to and the types of issues that could change our opinions. And that's a pretty scary thought right? in the negative. Uh, for a retailer, this sounds really good, right? Knowing what is the right thing that gets Trevor to buy a new car is an extremely valuable piece of data, but also kind of scary. The notion that we're no longer in control is scary. That said, you know, if you can, and, and, and so, so, so that kind of sense of losing control or that negativity is, is the downside. I think that the, the upside is when you have a wonderful experience, right? So if you imagine walking into a store and it does facial recognition, it says, oh, that's Trevor Sumner and I'm in the loyalty program. So I'm, you know, premier access or gold access or whatever it is. And it loads up my profile and says, oh, you know, your wife, your wife's birthday is a month away and this is on her Pinterest board and this would be a great gift in your price range that you've set up with us as to, you know, kind of gifts that you're interested in. And it just, you know, starts recommending things that actually help me, you know, close the loop and do something really nice for my wife. That's super helpful and wonderful, right? So, you know, it can be to the point where those insights just save me a lot of time and effort and better things start coming to me. The question is, is it effective? And, 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 and am I willing to relinquish that much data and control? Um, the reality is, you can pretty much pretty easily go to my public Facebook profile, see who I'm married to. Uh, her name is Emily Kammeyer Sumner. You can search for her on her Pinterest. You'll get her Pinterest board and you can make suggestions to me as to what you think my wife would like for her birthday, which is in June of next year, right? So, um, you know, all that data is out there. It's all kind of public. It's about stringing it together and, you know, putting together these experiences that just make it really nice and convenient and has that wow factor or time to cool that, you know, I think is missing from a lot of retail experiences right now. Right now it's uh, just shelves of products uh, where I have to do all the decision-making and exploration. And it, you know, one of the things that's nice about what we do at Perch is, you know, just the way that digital comes to you, right? At the right time, at the right moment, the moment you touch a product, it starts unlocking all this information. If, if we can push the right information to you uh, at the right time, that's, that's really exciting. And that's where, you know, when I, we're thinking about personalization in terms of, you know, we basically build these interactive retail displays at Perch, where, which, which have cameras in them and detect which products you're touching. So, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, Trevor's 42 and a male who lives in Brooklyn, um, you know, how much can I really suggest based upon that? But if I touch, you know, for example, Benadryl, oh, Trevor has allergies. Great. Tell him about Rhinocort. Tell him about... Um, you know, Visine, tell them about you know, the, the other, the Zyrtec and other things that you can tell about allergies. Um, if I'm picking up Band-Aids, sounds like I have a cut, maybe I can tell you about Neosporin. And that's basically what we've kind of implemented at Johnson & Johnson at the CPG space. Uh, in the luxury space, like I said, at Kate Spade, you pick up a purse, it immediately tells you all the different options for the purse and that all comes to you so that you can kind of visualize it. You know, you can in integrate other digital from, you know, places like Stylitics or Find Mine, which are two great services that tell you how to style an outfit. So the moment you touch an outfit, it tells you all the different things that you can style. And you can say, oh, you know, that looks really good with pony boots. And I have a pair of pony boots. This is the right skirt for me, right? And so, you know, for us, we think about, you know, what are the relevant signals that you can personalize an experience from? 
and understanding that customer behavior in store and what they're doing and what they're touching, kind of that almost the equivalent of a product click online uh, is, is where we've been focusing a lot of the personalization. Well, you touched on something that was important is the, yes, there is too much that um, when you have these security breaches and these trust breaches really of, of, you know, consumers, and it's getting to the point where uh, our, our thoughts and our ideas are able to be manipulated, that does create a wholesale distrust of, of everything that's online. I mean, it, it sounds like a little bit of a, a rush to judgment, but that can happen. It can kind of set, set the industry back when something large scale like that happens. So what then do you advise to retailers who want to take advantage of all of the personalization that is possible, but they dance that fine line of, well, we don't want to look creepy. We don't want to look like we're pushing it too far. Like what advice do you have for them to be able to find that happy medium? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, kind of a, a line, the, the kind of creepy value line, right? Or the value creepy line. If you provide more value than it is creepy, then you're doing okay. If it's more creepy than you're providing value, then that's where you get into trouble. Um, and so, you know, I think about all the loyalty programs or anytime I buy something on Amazon, it says people who bought this also bought that. That makes a lot of sense, right? Um, you know, that's providing important suggestions as to as to what things I might like. And in fact, I think Amazon, you know, uh, with its basic product suge- suggestions actually does a really poor job of this. Given the amount of transaction history it has, it could recommend so much more. And I think that's an area that they are probably going to, you know, advance in pretty quickly uh, for the future. But I think it's about trust as well and really protecting your assets, right? So that you don't have the type of scandals uh, that the Equifaxes and the Facebooks of the world have, um, which is really hard because you've got a combination of you know, physical and digital security uh, out there. But, you know, Amazon, there are no breaches, there are no breaks, nobody's stealing. You know, people trust Amazon more than any other retailer to provide product suggestions. Uh, and there's a reason for it, right? Uh, it's secure, it's convenient, it's got lots of cool factor around it. I just feel like Amazon's trying to fight for me with low prices and getting me my things as fast as possible. And it, and it feels like they're an advocate for the customer. And I think the organizations that feel like they're an advocate for the customer versus those that are trying to maximize revenue or even worse, sell your data. I mean, that's one of the, you know, one of the big issues I have with charities is, you know, they're, they're trying to make money anywhere they can. And so they, they sell their data. So all of the donor information they sell and or at least most do. Right. And, and that's, that's such a negative, right? Like if I have, you know, if I give this money, I also know you're going to, you know, if I sign up for your email list, I know you're going to sell it. And, and it's that mix right there. So you have to, as a retailer, build a lot of trust and say, you know, we're not going to email you every day, which a lot of retailers do just because they figure if they send more emails, somebody's going to click and we'll sell more stuff. And it's like, no, your unsubscribe rate jumps through the roof because you're breaching the fundamental trust of the customer and thinking through what's right for the customer and what are the challenges, right? What is it that a customer is struggling with with your product or products in making selections? What are the frustration areas in that shopping process? And can you alleviate it? Is this really just about marketing and just driving top-line revenue growth? Or is this about making happy customer experiences, right? And so that's 
you know, a lot of what we focus on is how do we bring joy and unexpected, you know, kind of magic to the, to the, to the experience. You know, when a customer picks something up and then all of a sudden something digital happens and they have no idea why, you know, they, their eyes dilate, they smile, they get the little dopamine drip, they're now paying attention and they're excited. And, you know, overall it leads to greater customer loyalty and dwell times. And of course, you know, we end, end up generating, you know, on average 30 to 80% sales left too. So it's, if you do the right things, the revenue will come. And too, too many people are just trying to maximize revenue and in the process, undermine the dynamics. And I think trust is, I think Warren Buffett said, um, trust is earned over a lifetime and lost in a moment. So, you know, it only takes a couple moments, a couple, you know, sloppy uses of data. And, and the challenge for retailers, of course, is, you know, they're still trying to figure it out. And, and we encourage a world of experimentation. And so this notion of, being really cautious with the customer and their data and being really experimental and pushing the envelope, uh, they're, they're at odds fundamentally. And I think that brings a lot of organizations into an analysis paralysis mode where they can adapt as quickly as they'd like. Exactly. Well, and that, that dichotomy between the two things, it, it occurs to me when you're thinking through what the customer wants and what is going to make a, a wow moment for the customer, that feels very emotive. You're thinking through the psychology of, of how a customer is going to feel. Whereas today, digital marketing so much is dependent on data analysis and, and just sheer numbers really and a lot of decisions are being made by that so i guess how do you reconcile the two seemingly opposite ideas within marketing space well i i think part of it is is merging the digital and physical you know silos in the organization so sephora made big waves uh earlier this year um most retailers are in these silos that the in-store people are completely different than the digital people sephora turned that upside down so that you kind of get the best of both worlds and they started sharing data and the data was super powerful. They could start looking how in-store generated more online sales. So there, there are a bunch of studies that, you know, if a target uh, shows up in a geography, uh, target.com sales go up 40% in that, in that geography. So the, the notion that a physical store influences online sales and then conversely that online sales uh, influence in-store sales. And so now that you know you've got these merging of silos that are now working together, uh, you can start unlocking a lot more in terms of the data that you have accessible to you and the types of attribution you can do. And the reality is, you know, at most retailers, the the in-store and the online people are, are at odds. They are enemies. They're fighting for budget. The online guys are growing more quickly, uh, but the in-store people tend to to to, to be a greater percentage of the overall sales and often more profitable. And, you know, the digital guy, if you're the in-store guys, the digital guys are the enemy. They're stealing my budget. They've you know, got all these capabilities that we don't have. And that's the wrong way to think about it. The digital people have, you know, the ability to test messaging that you can then bring in store with AB testing um, and, and can make things they can, do, you know, buy online, pick up in store, and then lead to greater dwell times that also have cross-sell opportunities. And if you start working together and look at the organizational as a whole and stop thinking about channels and start thinking about the customer journey holistically, you start opening up a lot more opportunities. And I think that is one of the big challenges that retailers are facing and one of the big you know, advices I would give. Fascinating stuff. Trevor, thank you so much for joining me. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, it's always great to have these discussions with you. 
And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more and listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk.